but a uh, couple of weeks ago there was a gentleman who walked into church and as usual we find out about their life story we want to find out what grace has been doing in their life and so i asked him do you believe in jesus and the fact that he died on the cross and he said yes so i persisted and asked this question so imagine yourself standing before god and if god were to ask what is the reason i should let you into heaven and your response will be and he said oh i try to live a good life i try to do everything so that god is you know happy with me and and um and i and i hope that he's happy with me and i said what you have is what you believe in when you say that jesus died for your sin you don't you haven't experienced it because if your answer is going to be that your entrance into heaven is based on what you've done you have no hope you have no hope because our best is not able to open the doors into god's presence what he had was a functional belief which is different from biblical word he said he knew jesus died he he said jesus died on the cross for the sins of all he he and he died for my sins but when you persist and ask go past that barrier of belief you realize that what they hold on to is so wrong a hope which is no hope at all it's such a terrible place to be to think that that hope is going to be helpful but that hope is not it is going to make a difference it's like putting the cart before the horse you see if you do that it, it really is i was talking to joby i think it was um he was saying you see the study of the bible and the quiet time is the end goal it's not the means to uh to to salvation or to who god is in your life true it'll help you but unless you know god unless you love god and you just so desire him so much that it puts, it'll be an automatic move to spend time with him and to study his word and to pray it says so no more is this quiet time such a chore it's a pleasure sometimes then hope that we hold on to is not hope that the bible is talking about socrates had said the unexamined life is not worth living and i'm saying an unexamined faith and a baseless hope is dangerous and so i pray that over these sessions that we spend time in trying to build upon the sessions and today as we get to hope we will ask ourselves if our hope is genuine Uh, in in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 we read in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised so this hope of eternal life that the hope that we have is for the eternal life and this eternal life was promised in the counsel of his will even before the world started he he promised in the counsel of his will he promised in himself uh, and that gets fulfilled and so 
we saw that the promise that we have of eternal life is based on the character and the, and the promise of God. And so that gets fulfilled. And then we saw it's through the reading and the studying of God's word, true doctrine, sound doctrine, that, that, that we begin to understand the, the truth. We also saw that it's through discipleship that it gets disseminated where these truths begin to get lived out. And then we saw that it is not in our strength that we live this out. It is not that we're adding works to our salvation in hopes that God would be happy with us, but it's grace that trains us. And so now we've come to the theme of our camp, of our retreat about hope. Because unless we have all of those laid out, hope is not secure. Hope is not real. It's, a God, it's all based on what God had promised. We also saw that the, the first time we saw grace and hope was in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve had sinned, and it was supposed to be the day that they died, they realized that they've been given. There's an, a delay in their death in that sense, but there is this hope that they can have on the son who would be born through the woman, on whom the death would fall, that there is a substitute being planned, or already planned. That's the beauty of that promise that we hold on to. The promise that the serpent that troubles you and I will be defeated completely will be crushed under our foot as we read in Romans 16. And this hope is different. This hope is not the hope that, that the world is talking about. It's not the hope that in Crete that they knew about. In the Greek mythology, uh, mythology, hope is the word elpis. In fact, that's the same word in Greek that we have, the elpis. That's hope. But biblical elpis is not the Greek elpis. And so when Paul is writing about this hope, they understand that this is a different kind of a hope. In Greek mythology, uh, Elpis is the mother of goddess of fame and renown and rumor. It is that if you have this hope, she will lead you to her daughters of fame and renown. And as the story goes, uh, in the mythology, I think we'll just take just about a minute to say the story. I think it's important because then you can see the contrast. Fire was stolen from heaven by the Titans. And so Zeus was very upset with Titans and with the mankind. And so to, uh, to take revenge, he creates Pandora, the first woman, fills her with all the virtues. And one of the virtues was curiosity. But, she, uh, but, he's, but he gives her this box and in this box is all these sickness and sorrows and pain, and, but there is also hope in it. And so Pandora brings it down to the Titans and onto Earth, and they're so excited to see a woman. I mean, we are men, but that's okay. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, Pandora is now married, but Pandora has got curiosity, and she wants to know what's in the box, and she opens the box, and all this pain and sorrow and everything gets released, and she wants to shut it immediately, and thankfully, Elpis, Hope, has got stuck under the lid and didn't escape, and so Hope was the virtue that remained with man, but sorrow and pain 
came into this world. So that's the hope that they held on to. A hope that was not based on anything, but we have a hope that's based on the promises of God, on the character of God, who does not change. His yes is yes, and his no is a no. We can trust what he says, the promise of God. And so that's why we read, a God who never lies. It's another hit against the culture of creed. And so we want to look at blessed hope. I want to read from Titus chapter 2, verses 13 and 15. Uh, let me read 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and the Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Listen to this verse 15. I know there was a question asked yesterday, why rebuke? Uh, why should you rebuke? But here we are. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. It's, the, it's God's word. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your word does not soft pedal on issues. And it's the authority of the word that we want, uh, that we stand on, and we want to hear what your word has to say for us. Smash our idols, destroy our perceptions which are against you, our passions which draw us away. I pray, O oh God, that our hearts are made clean by the hearing of your word, and that faith is renewed, and that if there is anyone here who is still grappling with the truth of God's word, I pray that the light of the gospel would shine into their heart. As we read, God who commanded light to shine would shine into their hearts, that they are able to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you again for hearing our work, hearing our prayer in Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. What we want to do is to see the response of hope, that if we have hope, how do we respond? It's important that we respond in the right way. And I know one of the things that uh, you've been doing is uh, you had the quiz on First Thessalonians, and you've been studying by the triad, the hope, love, and faith triad. And in fact, in the Bible, there are 36 different triads. In fact, Genesis chapter 1 begins with a triad. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John Stott had this to say. He said, these triads have a, a Trinitarian shape of all things. So these triads remind us of God who is a triune God. In the, beginning, uh, in the beginning, which is time, time has got three, past tense, present tense, and future tense. In the beginning, God created the heavens, which is space. Space is three, length, breadth, and height. Uh, heavens and the earth, which is uh, mass. You have, uh, uh, you, I don't know, I, I completely forget right now, but uh, or the water, you take water in three forms of gas. 
Okay, and you science guys come and tell me what, that ma- what I messed up. Okay, but you see, right at the beginning, you have this Trinitarian emphasis as a God who lays it out and reveals himself to us even through the way design of the earth and the heavens are. And so we've been looking, you've been looking at faith, hope, and love. It's an early apostolic tradition. In fact, Paul mentions it 15 times in his epistles. Uh, one of the things that you were looking at was in First Thessalonians. So I want you to turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse, verse 3. Because I want you to see what is happening here. Remembering before a God, the Father, your work of faith. Okay, so work of faith labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the three adjectives. There's work, there's labor, there's steadfastness. This work of faith. Uh, The New Testament has much to say about faith, and it's the starting point. Without faith, you cannot please God. That's where you begin. And the virtue of faith is that it works. It should be put to work. Because faith without work is dead, James writes. And so this, this work that happens begins in not my heart, my will. It changes my will. It changes my life. That's what faith starts to do. It works in me. And I work this faith out as I trust God in his promises. Faith must work. And then you have the labor of love. The word love, the word is agape. So it's selfless love. The beauty of Trinity is this. When you say God is love, he's not, it's not a self-love. It's, it's because a God is a triune God. There is God the Father loving on God the Son. God the Son loving on the Father. You see, the love, therefore, is not the self-love that we experience because of our sin. And there's a labor of love. Love labors. John 3.16, the most famous verse, I guess, the most famous and most translated verse is this. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Love gives. It's selfless. It is for the good of others. And so when you love, you mothers, you, you, when you demonstrate your selfless love to your child who wakes up in the middle of the night without complaining, you, you care for that child, it is an agape love in a sense. Love. It labors for others. Then you have the steadfastness of hope. And the virtue of hope is that it perseveres. Hope is always in the future, isn't it? That's why we hope. Uh, no one hopes for what is present, Romans says. And, and through the dark night of the, of the soul, I don't know any, most of you, I don't know your deep struggles, but all of us have experienced sometimes where you long for the light at the end of the tunnel, where you long for the night to be over. You just wait for the pain to subside. You look at this hope that perseveres. That through the sorrow, through the pain, through the agony, through the time of misery, you persevere. You continue on because you have the hope of God. Hope. 
because it rests on God. It, it, it is anchored. It's the anchor of the soul. We read that in Hebrews, do we not? That in Hebrews 6, we read this, this hope that we have is anchored, as it were, to the throne room of God, attached to the, to the throne of grace. It's because of God that you can persevere through your most painful times when there is separation, when there is death, when there is sorrow such deep that no one here can comfort you, but God can through this hope and this perseverance that he calls you to, that you can persevere. Our blessed hope here now we see is the appearing of the glory of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's verse 13. What a hope of glory. The theologians call the faith, love, and hope. Um, sorry, I've not been using it. I completely forgot. But <laughs> the, um, the three divine sisters, they go together. A hope that is not anchored to the right faith and moved by wrong love is deceptive. You might say you, you, you have a hope that you go to heaven, but if it is not based on the right faith, and it's not because of your love for God, this hope is deceptive. It's not real, real hope. What about faith? You can have faith in the wrong things. You had faith when you sat on those chairs, but sometimes one of those chairs, the leg could have been broken and you would have sat down and you would have reached the ground. Hope and faith. Listen to what Jonah 2.8 says, because if your faith is on the wrong thing, your love and hope will crumble. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Hope. What about love? If there's no love, what do I hope? Let's say I'm going to get married again. No, no. Uh, let's say I'm getting, uh, let's say, you know, one of you guys are getting, getting married. And you've got six months and you have this hope. You're waiting to get married. But you know for sure there's no love in that marriage. Do you have a hope for that six months as you wait for that marriage? A hope without love. Is pointless. So these three come together. That's why the apostolic, uh, this, this, the apostles keep reminding us of this faith, love, and hope that comes together. And so we have what we have is hope, living with hope in the light of His coming. And so here we are. What do we do with this hope? How do we respond to this hope? And this passage is going to give us three experiences or three responses to uh, hope. One, because it is a blessed hope, it's going to evoke gratitude towards God. Two, because it's an assured hope, we'll see that, it's going to evoke a response of good works towards others. And because it's a glorious hope, it's going to evoke the response of godliness in us. But let's break it down and see one 
after the other. One is the blessed hope that fills our hearts with gratitude towards God. So what it says is if I have a hope, it must do something to my heart. Hope must do something to my heart. We hope with our heart, isn't it? Because we were people, in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that we were people without hope and without God. We had no hope. In First Thessalonians, we, we, you did the chapter, you did the book and the epistle. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, we read that we, before we knew Christ, or there were others who don't know Christ, they grieve as those without hope. There's no hope of them ever meeting the person in heaven. This blessed hope, as we read here, waiting for a blessed hope. Remember that? Blessed hope. It gives boldness for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not hopeless. Hope, when you have hope, it gives us courage. That's what blessed hope is all about. You probably read... I don't know if you've read, read war stories and you've read about prisoners of war. Prisoners of war who don't have hope. They just wither away. They, they just die. Uh, Victor Frankl, he wrote this book uh, which became famous and he speaks about how he would have this hope that he would be released and he would present to an audience all his experiences that he learned, and that's what kept him alive. But that's, again, a very motivational, very, uh, you know, in-this-earth moment kind of a hope. But our hope is not just that we'll be released from our prison, but our hope is a, is a blessed hope. A blessed hope. It's a blessing. That's why great, when we sing this hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. What does it say? Pardon for sin. And peace that endureth, thine own presence to cheer and to guide. Listen to this. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. It gives us strength for today. The hope gives us strength. It gives us courage for today and gives us hope, bright hope for tomorrow. That's the wonder and the beauty of having this blessed hope. My favorite hymn is Day by Day. Because when I, I remember the times when I, when I realized that, Lord, I, like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I just want to give up. Day by day, as from my Father's hand, He gives us enough for today. Oh, it just thrills me that it's my Father who comes and says, Here, son, take for today. Give us this day our daily bread. That's okay. That's enough for today. That's what hope does. Hope. But not just blessed hope, but it's also the hope, the, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory. The appearing, the appearing, not if he, if he appears. It is the appearing. It's an assured hope. This hope is assured. And so this assured hope it fills our hands with labor for others. It transforms my heart. This hope changes my heart, but also fills my hands with labor for others. The two angels at the 
on the when the lord jesus was being ascended uh, was was ascending in acts chapter 1 verse 11 says this same jesus will come in the way you saw him go he will come that's the assurance of this hope and that we live between two appearances between the incarnation and the coronation how beautiful for us is that this is not that we're going to see jesus come and ridiculed and mocked i'm done with seeing my jesus's name ridiculed I, i'm done i'm waiting for his name to be glorious over all the earth that's the assurance that god gives me that his name will be made uh, glorious over all the earth the assurance that i have uh, we partake of the lord's supper and the reading there is till he come we remind ourselves till he come isn't it he gave us the bread and the wine the bread that nourishes and the wine that cheers that's the beauty of those emblems the assured hope paul didn you know paul didn say have the still tribulation starts he didn't say have the bread and the wine in first corinthians 11 he didn't say uh, till the antichrist comes our hope is not in those events but this event that the one who ascended will come again the assured hope that we have but the assured hope it actually fills our hands it has a signature conduct and that is what we see in verse 14 it says he redeemed us from all lawlessness so we give up lawlessness we we we, we are not people without law we are not under the old testament or old testament covenantal law but we are uh you know we we are not lawless people and then he calls us to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works so we don't do good works for salvation but our salvation will result in good works because we have this enduring hope of the glory of our lord jesus christ that we can soon see in chapter 1 verse 12 he speaks about the cretans he said the cretans are lazy gluttons they are evil uh, they liars the evil beast lazy glutton so cretans out verse 16 it speaks about the judaizers the one or the circumcision party who would say that works are important there are things that you need to do to be saved there are certain rituals that you have to maintain and there it says they're detestable and disobedient unfit for any good work they're unfit for any good work that is all your rituals are no good that's as clear as it can you are you're good for nothing paul is saying if you try to work your salvation you're good for nothing that's the vigi translation of paul but think about this when it comes to chapter 3 verse 1 he's readying us for every good work to be ready for every good work chapter 3 verse 8 it says that this is a trustworthy saying 
those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Verse 14, devote themselves to good works, so help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. You see, your salvation, we, we saw in verse 1 of chapter 1, we saw that, that when you have the faith, in, faith and the knowledge, it accords to godliness, that is, that, that, that it leads to this godliness because we have this hope of eternal life and this godliness is going to be demonstrated in good works. Good works. Be a zealot. We saw that yesterday. Being fanatical for good works because that's what God equips us or equips a hand. But not just that. But glorious hopes fills our habits with godliness. Fills our habits with godliness. Something, it, it changes our life. One of the things that we say when we, when we say as a Christian, this is what should happen. We normally say, you know, live your life and share your faith. But I think as Christians, we are called to live our faith and share our life. This faith is put to work, and that this life is shared. That's good works. That comes because of this godliness, this habits of godliness that he equips us with. We saw We'll see another triad here. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. So it's brought salvation, which is justification. Verse 12, it trains us to renounce, which is sanctification. And verse 13, we wait for the appearing of the glory of our great God because it's going to transform us into his image. The justification, sanctification, glorification, all here in this passage. This is a rich passage. There's much that you can dwell on. Learn this by heart and make it yours. This glorious hope that moves us from justification to glorification. And we're in this process. We are in the sanctification, in the painful, sorrowful time. But our hope is this hope of glorification. It's a glorious Hope. We have been trained by grace right now. Grace is sustaining us, but grace excites us with this hope of the tomorrow when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear. The, the glory of our great God, the Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. This glorious hope fits us for fight. We saw in First Thessalonians, turn back there, First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. We, uh, it was referenced yesterday in the quiz, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of what church? Breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet of hope for salvation. You have the faith, love, and hope coming out here. This is a language of war. While you're here, you are fighting. The principalities and powers of darkness, you are fighting. There is, it, is, it gets tough. But we wait for the glorious hope. We fight for our affections because our, my love so easily is shifted to other loves apart from Christ. And so our affections and attitudes. Glorious hope teaches us 
patience. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. Again going back there it teaches us patience. The patience of hope. Patience of hope. So what does that mean? It means that well you hope you have to persevere. We already looked at that. I mean that, that means you know what. Uh, so I used to be I used to be in track and field uh, in school and in college. And um, so my 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 events were 400 meters, 200 meters, and long jump. And uh, one day I thought, you know what, I'm going to run the 800 meters too. And I started running the 800 meters like I do the 400 meters. And as I was coming around the bend, I was on the lead. And because now I lost all my breath and all the gas and the fuel in my system, one person overtook me. I'm still running. And then the second person overtook me. I'm still running. Then the third person overtook me. And I gave up. I didn't finish the race. Because I'd lost, lost hope. Hope, loss of hope can do that. But the idea of persevering. You see, if I had this hope that I can still beat and I could have persevered, but we have the hope that we can beat because of grace that sustains and trains. It's not our energy. I was at the end of my energy, but this is not our energy. This is, as Colossians chapter 129 says, it is his energy. He powerfully works within me. So we, get, we say, Lord, I can't fight this. Give me the strength. Help me to do it. Help me to hate the sin that so easily besets me. And I'm going to hold myself accountable. I'm going to take steps. But I want to persevere. I don't want to give up. I don't want to fall by the track. I want to be able to say with Paul, I've kept the course. Finished the race. I want to hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. There is absolutely no greater joy than hearing from God. For all of us, isn't it? Well done. And that's the hope that we have. In the parable of the good soil, if you read in the version in Luke chapter 8, verse 15, the good soil through... Let me read Luke chapter 8, verse 15. So that'll be good. Let's turn there. It's important. So that we, we know that that verse that we may have missed seeing is there, 8.15. And for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast and in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Patience. Bear fruit with patience. You see, uh, patience and this hope going together, hope Builds, gives us this divine strength. Hope gives this ability to continue. I'm not sure of this uh, uh, story if you knew, but Derek Redmond was running this 400 meters in the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. You can, you can watch the clip on YouTube uh, because it became a very famous event. What happened is as he, he had hoped to win, but as he was coming down the turn... Um, he, he pulled uh, his hamstring, and he just collapsed. But he didn't want to stop. He, didn't, he wanted to persevere. So he got up, but he couldn't because he was in terrible pain. 
And as people were looking, there was this man coming right out from the stands and past the security. As the security tried to ward him off, he goes right up to Derek and holds him up and he says, Come, son, let's go together. It was Derek's father. And keeping the security at bay, they limped across the finish line and the whole stadium stood to applaud. And my father says to me, Son, get up. Let's go. Don't give up. He comes in those hard moments. And reassures me of this hope. Grace that will take me home. I know. I know this is a blessed hope. I know this is an assured hope. I know this is the glorious hope to which we've been called. My father is involved intimately with me in this walk. The glorious hope. It takes hold of eternal life we read in First Timothy. So hope that fills with gratitude fills my heart with gratitude. It fills my hands with labor. We'll come back in the next session or speak a little bit more on this about the labor of our hands. And then it fills my habits with God godliness. A.T. Robertson had this story to say. He speaks of what a time when he had gone to an exquisite, uh, well-manicured garden in Italy. So he spoke to the owner, and he said, how long have you been here? And he says, 25 years. And, and then A.T. Robertson asked, so how many times has the owner come? And he said, about four times. And when did he come last? Oh, that was about 12 years ago. And so he was surprised A.T. Robertson was surprised. He said, like, but you keep it as if he's coming tomorrow. And the man said, the caretaker says, no, 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 not tomorrow, but today. I expect him to come today. I expect, I hope, I live with the hope and the assurance that he comes today. Until such time, let us persevere, my brothers and sisters. This is, he is worthy. He is worthy. Is he? He is worthy. And so, my brothers and sisters, I don't know if there are others who don't have this hope. Come talk to any of us who have found the beauty and the wonder and the joy and the sustaining power of this hope because of the grace of God that's changed us and transformed us. Come and ask. For those of us who are struggling and, 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 and finding it difficult, come together in fellowship, in, in, in encouragement and strengthen because the night is going to be soon done. The day is coming. When his glorious appearance is going to come, we hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Can we all stand up as I pray for you all? Father God, Father God, we want to thank you that you're a God who's intimately involved in our lives. A God who loved us a God who sent us the best. And so you ask us, Lord, 
Is there anything more that you can do? Is there anything else you could have done to demonstrate that you love us as we were reminded today? And we want to say, no, no, no. But give us the strength that you have promised through your grace. And we thank you for this community that we can lean on. And as we wait for the glorious return of your son, oh, we'll so long for that time, oh Lord. Until such time, help us to persevere. So that when we see you face to face, we can hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. And we thank you again, Lord, through your strength, that this hope is real. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name we pray. And God, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to just leave it there for you to ponder on. There was, I don't know, Sheetal, how much more time is Sheetal there? Did she finally give up her work? Oh, 10 minutes, okay, all right. Sorry? Okay. Okay. So, so I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to ask because, um, because I think since we can use that 10 minutes, instead of, you, you can review that later, but if there's anything that you want to ask, we can do. So there was this question yesterday. There, were, uh, there was this question yesterday. Why didn't God stop Adam from sinning? That's a very interesting question, right? I mean, that's really beautiful. But think about it. Nothing created can, has in it the life for forever. Even Eden had to be maintained. It had to be tended. In heaven, where, the, uh, where Lucifer was, created being, he sinned. On earth, Adam sinned. So anything created will have a problem. Now, if you ask me, why did God create, then I don't have an answer. But at least in this, we can see that creation itself does not have the ability to sustain itself. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, in the great exchange that he has, in, in Thessalonians, we read this great exchange, the great, or, or in Isaiah 53, yet we read that great exchange. The great exchange is that he gives us his righteousness and this righteousness means forever there would be no more decay. There would be no more problem. We have the joy, the hope of eternal life. Right? So did God permit? Did God know? Was he looking ahead in time and seeing Adam is going to sin and so I'm going to prepare a way? No, no, God is not limited by time. He's not the tallest person in the class who can look further ahead and say, all oh, right, that's going to happen in time, and so I'm going to beat them to it. He didn't look ahead in the corridors of time to prepare a way. He did this in the counsel of his own will before the foundation of the world were laid, before time, space, and matter was created. So it's a plan of God. And, and so we see creation being redeemed. And for us, we see here that to purify for himself a people for his own possession, that's enough for me. That I would be purified to be a people of his own possession. All right, any, anything else that I didn't, I went through too fast today or any other question?
Please make it easy. Yeah. Yeah, so my question was yesterday you spoke about uh, so you had one accident, right? And then uh, you were I think arguing with God that you if you heal me then only you will uh, you will go for whatever mission. So once you decided that okay, now my life is uh, you know, I am for you, my life is to serve you, then how did you uh, go ahead with like uh, which mission field to go or where to work or how did you start? Right. I uh, so I think God opens doors. I mean, I didn't I didn't push. I didn't you know because I had work at the church anyways. Uh, but every opportunity that came up, I I said yes to, and I had started to spread myself too thin. That's the other problem. The problem of God sometimes very specifically says this is where you need to go. And in my case, it was just you know I want you. In, I want you to be, you know, serving me alone in this capacity, uh, but never cleared for me, I guess, a specific um, a burden or a specific role that I had. So between uh, October and January, I had opportunities to be ministering with Voice of the Martyrs uh, in a radio ministry. Uh, that beamed across South America and the Arab world and uh, Ukraine and Russia. I mean, these are great opportunities, and I thought that's what God was calling me to. And, and then I was sitting on two or three boards, and I had, you know, if I had more than 10 fingers, I would have sat in more ministries. Um, but then I had to realize that that just because an opportunity comes is not necessarily where God is calling you. So then I got off all of that except for biblical eldership, which is helping me in my shepherding role at the church. Now it's clear for me that God has called me to be a shepherd at the church. So it's a process, and some people it becomes clear. But I think we start with obedience, not with give me the... This is, this, think of this example, okay? I don't know if I, was, I shared it here. I'm sorry if I shared because I think that really helped me. Um, so I, 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 I don't think I can drive in Bangalore, uh, not because I don't have the license, but I can't drive maybe, but let's say I'm driving and I need the direction to come here. And the person says, you know what, you go straight and at the airport, take that Hyderabad route and you, and then you come, you take, there'll be a light to turn left and then there'll be a cow tied at the corner of the tree, take a, you know, whatever it is. And I was like, I, I can't understand. And this person said, where are you going? So you're going on the promised land. Oh, I'm actually going there. I'll come with you. So he gets on the car, in the car with me. And at this point, he's not giving me the whole map. He's not saying, okay, he's not repeating everything for me. He just says, all right, at the end of that street, turn right. One step at a time. And I'm okay. I don't need to know the whole plan. Because I have the guide with me. And because I have the guide with me, I'm assured that I will get to the promised land. What a name, promised land. Anyways, but the point is this, right? One step at a time. Do we trust God to let us give, to give us only one step at a time? Beginning with obedience and say, oh, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do there. If, if in ministry that you're doing here and your only role is to wipe the chairs and to put the chairs properly, do it as unto the Lord. Because I'm telling you, when you're faithful in little things, 
Because I meet a lot of young people who say they're waiting for that big moment that God will use them and and you know, make them like the next Billy Graham because that post is still vacant. Being faithful in little things. And so that's my learning. Um, so, brother, we got to know that recently you had gone to Bangladesh, and uh, it'll be wonderful if you could share with us a bit about uh, how you ministered there, and also maybe what you saw of the church from your perspective in Bangladesh and and how the Lord is working. Yeah, you know what God is doing in Bangladesh. Uh, the reports don't get out. It's a country with 179.5 million people, of which 179 are 79 million are Muslims. But God, so the government actually, when it takes a census every 10 years, they are noticing that Christianity is growing 44%. You, you watch it, it's on, you, it's, on, uh, it's on the net. The census of Bangladesh, 44% increase, but you know, there are not more than 500,000 Christians in, in Bangladesh. So even 44% is not like in millions. It's, it's a small number. But that increase that is happening is... Phenomenal. And I met with people. I'll give you two examples. Um, one was I met with this person who recently stepped out on a full-time work. He was actually, he and his wife were working in a textile industry. He married a Hindu and his brother married a Muslim. So in Bangladesh, especially for Christians, there are not too many Christians, so you don't get too many people who you can marry, and so this syncretism happens. That is, as long as you follow your faith, I follow my faith, we are all the same, you know. They're not, they're not really believers, so they intermarry across faith. And so the two brothers then came to know the Lord through the work of one brother called Samuel Das, who lives here in India and goes across, has been doing that for the past 10 years. And so now these brothers are speaking to their wives about being, becoming Christians and getting baptized. And, and so they collode. They, they, they start to talk to each other saying that, okay, now this uh, family conference that's coming up, we'll go there. It's a three-day conference and we'll commit suicide. We'll write a note uh, saying that uh, these husband of ours are forcing us into religion. And so we've committed us, uh, committed, you know, we want to commit suicide. And so that we put into trouble, put them into trouble. And the first day of the conference, both of them get saved. On the third day, this gentleman, this dear brother who's now gone into full-time work, she gets up and says, you know what, I don't know whether I can or not. I'm just going to say it. I have to tell you this. I can't hold it. I came here to commit suicide, but God arrested my life. And I want to say to you that I am a child of God. She goes back to... Cox Bazaar, if I remember correctly, and she, she went there and she works in a textile industry and she's like on fire for the Lord. The boss is in the owner's collar and says, you can't do this. We have to, you know, we have to, uh, uh, you know, put you out uh, if you don't stop. And she says, I can't stop. I, you know, this is, this is, this is too much of a fire in me to hold back. So then they said, okay, sorry, you know, we can't let you work here. Two weeks later, they call her back because she's a good worker. It says, you come back, you know, just promises you won't, sp you won't speak about Jesus. He said, no, I can't do that. And then the owner says, all right, whatever you do, but we want you back. And she has a Bible study in that textile uh, factory. I met with another 
couple, the husband and wife, who were unfaithful to each other. And the wife is confronted by the gospel, and she goes and confesses. I mean, they were unfaithful without each other knowing. So the wife goes and confesses and says, I'm sorry, but I've become a Christian. I know what I was doing is wrong. Please forgive me. The husband is so impacted, and about two weeks, I believe, if I remember correctly, he gets saved. And then they realize that, how do they minister? And they, they are not trained, they don't teach, uh, they're not, they don't have any such, you know, they're not equipped for any of this, but they started adopting, not a, they started adopting, not, not an orphanage, they start adopting. They have seven children adopted, and two of their own. And the youngest one we met was Grace. She's like a, a firebrand, five-year-old. She was left at the doorstep of a mosque when she was seven days old. And the mullah comes to this family and says, would you take her? We don't know what to do. So all of these people, they look different, of course, but they don't know that they've been, you know, they're even adopted. Such, I, I, we were there for a week and we saw genuine love. Absolutely. Well, the danger in Bangladesh is the syncretism because, you know, you, you can still, you know, uh, Chrislam, have you heard of Chrislam? Where you can be an Islam or you can be a Muslim and, and believe that you, you know, you, you worship Christ. In concept, as a culture, it seems to be okay. That is, I'm a, I'm a culturally, I look like a Muslim. But, you know, I worship only Christ. That's supposed to be the concept, but in reality it is not. It's, it's just mixing up of all. And so they need people to go there and train. We were there. I was training from 9 in the morning till 9 in the evening, and they said, do more, do more. I was like, no, I can't. I've used up my words for the next one month. I'm an introvert. I don't have, I don't have the 25,000 that's normally given to people, but, um, but it was just the most exciting Any, anything else? Are we done? All right, thank you.